Jeremiah chapter 2. A longer chapter. I hope you'll uh, indulge me. I'd like to read through the chapter before we go through any slides, um, except the first one. Um, you know, we got, his, we got Jeremiah's testimony last week in chapter 1 about how God called him. And uh, you think about it, you get called into ministry, you know, what do you do? You know, called to ministry, maybe you go to school or you start slow, not Jeremiah. First sermon against Israel. Here's what he has to do. Come on now. So he gets to do, he gets to call Israel an unfaithful wife, compares her to broken cisterns, which as you probably know, um, accumulates water in the ground. They're broken. A plundered slave, a stubborn animal, a corrupt vine. He likens Israel to a defiled body, an animal in the desert, a disgraced thief, hopeless children, and prisoners of war. And he compares later, he says, you're like a prostitute going out looking for the next John. Now, first sermon. First sermon, yeah, real gentle, right? Just getting warmed up, that's right. <laughs> In the modern church, he wouldn't have preached a second one, would he? Well, let's pray. He probably wouldn't even gotten through the first. That's right, Sharon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the teaching of Jeremiah. We pray that you would bless our time in this book, specifically tonight in chapter 2. Um, make the words mean more to us than they did in our study, or maybe we've never read it. Maybe the first, not tonight's first night where we've come in contact with them. Your word is powerful. May we not be so dull as to, to dull the edge of your sharp-edged, double-edged sword. Convict us as you convicted Israel with Jeremiah's message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's take a look. Let's go through verse by verse. It's a long chapter, but uh, we've got time. <clears throat> Word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim to the ears of Jerusalem. Now, ears of Jerusalem, that's no big deal, right? If you, you know what that's talking about, right? Excuse me. Ears of Jerusalem. Uh, later on, he's going to call them um, Jacob, and then he's going to call them Israel. It's talking about Jews. Ears of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord. That's what a prophet says. Thus says the Lord. Here's what God says. Here's what Yahweh says. I remember what he's going to do is he's going to liken Israel to his wife. God speaking through Jeremiah to Israel. He's going to liken her to his wife. You remember if you were married, you remember back to a, a honeymoon. Um, honeymoons are short, unfortunately, right? They, they don't last long. I mean, Literally and metaphorically. I mean, there's a honeymoon at, at the church here. You know, if those of you who are new, you're in the honeymoon. Welcome. I am really great, and I'm a great speaker to you. We really like Lance. But the day's coming when you might not say that. You might say the exact opposite. If you've been here for a while, you've gotten through the honeymoon. You've seen the good with the bad. You've, seen the, the, you've been to the puppet show, and you've seen the strings, right? And God says that, I remember concerning you the devotion... Of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness. What do you think he's talking about? What time period in Israel's time were they good? Would, would God have enjoyed these people? <laughs> Maybe during Joshua, that first generation, the, the first generation died after 40 years. The next generation did go in and they took the land. I think that's the honeymoon. Didn't last long. And they didn't even go in and do everything God told them to do. 
He told them to go wipe out the Canaanites. Did they? They did not. Also, you want to see that word in the New American Standard Bible in, in verse 2 is, I remember concerning you the devotion. That's a, that's a hefty word in the Hebrew text. Uh, it's from a, a Hebrew word that you got to get your, your guttural together, and it's called <laughs> chesed, chesed. Hesed. It is translated, it was translated by William Tyndale, and he made up a new word for the English text, and he called it loving kindness. Loyal love. Powerful, royal, loyal love that never goes away. Okay, there's agape love in the New Testament. This is Old Testament. This is God's covenant love with his people. It doesn't go away. And here, for the first time, it concerns the nation of Israel towards God. Eh, it's neither here nor there, but it is interesting. He does say that Israel at one time loved me. You loved me. You're following after me in the wilderness. Uh, verse 3, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Now he's speaking of the enemies. All who ate of it or all who, who, uh, who hurt you uh, became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. I just put out inside here, just the first nation that comes to my mind is, um, other than the Canaanites, what's, what's one of the nations that stood up against Israel that God said, uh, wipe them out? Amorites is really an overview of Canaanites, but yes, Assyrian. Assyrians are gone, but not, not even around when Israel came out of Egypt. They're coming later, though, Karen. Starts with an A. Malachites. Malachites opposed Israel, and God said, when you get a chance, wipe them out. Um, later on, Saul, King Saul had the chance and he didn't do it. He decided to make an alliance with them. Anyway, evil came upon them because they were God's people. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt, brought them into his land. And that was a brief honeymoon. Verse four, hear the word of the Lord. You would think that after all they saw with all, especially with the, the 10 plagues in Egypt, Israel saw some amazing things. Our God can do anything. What was happening to them is not happening to us. We're going to serve this God forever. No, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that's not how it goes. Hear the word of the Lord. That's what Jeremiah says. O house of Jacob. Okay, remember it's the ears of Jerusalem. He's calling them Jacob. All the families of the house of Israel. There it is, Israel. He uses various um, words and phrases to talk to Israel or Jews. Thus says the Lord, what injustice did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? This is God's sarcasm. What did I do? To cause you to walk after other gods? Verse 6, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought, through deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt? That's what they were supposed to ask when they got into difficult times. They were supposed to look back and say, where's the Lord? Where's God in all of this? And God was to deliver them as he does throughout, say, what we'll see, saw in the book of Judges, for instance. God says, I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things. That's great right there. I brought you in. Did Israel go out, wander around and find this land? No. God took them out of their slavery in Egypt and brought them into the land. It's like somebody taking, imagine a, a homeless person, diseased, no money, filthy. Someone comes along the street. They bring them into the doctor. They clean them up. They get them well. They put them in a house. They stock the pantry. Everything they need. Here's a couple of new cars in the garage for you. There it is. It's all you. Isn't that great? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if you were that person? This is what God said he did. Uh, but there's a but. 
but you came and defiled my land and my inheritance you made an abomination. That word is throughout the Bible, the word abomination. It means you made it something really disgusting, something very offensive. I put you in the land of milk and honey, in the land of promise, and you messed it up. I gave you, son, a brand new car straight off the, 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 the dealership lot. I bought it for you and gave you a full tank of gas. And look at the car a year later. It's all crashed up or all mangled. Uh, the, the brakes are gone because you skid and you, you just abuse it. That's what he's saying. This is what I did. This is what you did. Note the people responsible for it. Verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? The priests, remember, in Israel are the mediators between man and God. No one goes to God. They go to a priest where the, the priest mediates for between man and God. God over there, man over there, priest right here in the middle. The priests are supposed to mediate between man and God, but they didn't say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. That, that ought to tell us something today. This is really uh, very true for us today in the modern world. Um, those who handle the law, that would be those who know the Bible, those who know the Old Testament. They didn't even know it. Some of you are trying to read through the Bible this year. God bless you. Keep going. Make sure you do it. Do it twice this year. You did it last year. Do it again this year. Do it twice. Do it three times. Do it as many times as you can. Listen to God speak. Once you do, one time, if you get through the Bible one time, you will be ahead of 90% of every pastor on this planet who has never read the Bible through. How sad is that? How many people come to me and say, I mean, look at me. Look, there's nothing to look at. This is not eye candy. Maybe for my wife, God blinded her. There's no stories. There's nothing encapsulating. You come and you listen to a sermon for an hour. Me reading an old book. Doesn't need to be me. It could be anybody reading this book. It's nothing. There's nothing flashy here. People will come here and they will say, one family came and they said, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? They came and I told you, I might have told you about them, but they were, I think I told you about them last week. They were here and they heard everybody rustling through the pages in the Bible. They thought that was amazing. And the lady said, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what I thought. You go to the doctor, the doctor is supposed to diagnose your problem. That's the way it's supposed to be. I was talking to a friend of mine today who's in air conditioning and heating. And he said, I'm amazed. He said, he said in my industry, how many people are buying terrible systems for their homes they're being duped and these guys that are they're selling them these units don't know anything about air conditioning and heating they're ripping them off some knowingly some ignorantly same is true in the church i mean it's pretty simple to just preach forth god's words to say thus saith the lord and that's what he's got here so the priests aren't doing their job the rulers, it's going to be your kings who transgressed against me. Well, all you got to do, by the time you're in Jeremiah's day, uh, the kings are a total mess in, in the north and the south. And the prophets. I think the prophets are the most culpable. Prophesied by Baal. Baal is a, um, the, uh, the pagan fertility god of, of lightning, rain, thunder. Um, when you pray to Baal, you're trying to get Baal to send forth rain on the land so that your crops will grow. Now, here's how you appease Baal. This is disgusting. Uh, it's, it's a cult. It's a cult full of cult prostitutes. What you have is you've got a, a basically essentially a, a house of prostitution, a whorehouse, full of the, the priestesses of Asherah. And if you want to mimic what you want from the god Baal, who up here doesn't exist, 
If you want Baal to send down seed on the land or water on the ground to raise the seed up, you mimic it by going to the sexual prostitution. And so you, you hobnob with all these prostitutes and Baal up here in the heavens is supposed to be appeased by that and send rain upon the land. That's how pagan this was. And this is what God's people are doing. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that did not profit. Now that is a, we would say in English, that's kind of a word play. The prophets did not profit, but in, in Hebrew, unfortunately, that doesn't, there's no word play. Prophets is nabim, and prophet is ya'al. You can remember that by saying, hey, y'all, y'all. So there's no word play there, but there is in English. Verse 9, therefore, God says, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your sons' sons I will contend. For cross to the coastlands of Katim, and send to Kedar. If you've got a New Living Translation, it translates that, and it says cross to the coastlands uh, in the west to Katim. And into the east to Kadar. It's just saying east, west. Katim is actually Cyprus, and Kadar is a group of people. It's a, it's a people group in the east. So look east, look west, and observe closely. Has there been such a thing as this? Has a nation changed gods when they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Um, the Babylonians worship the god uh, Bel. Bel. Um, the Moabites worshipped Chemosh. Um, there were all kinds of strange gods. Baal was worshipped, as I said, and, and his wife Asherah. And those nations, even though these are made up nothing gods, they don't exist. They made them up and they worship them. They never change. They've kept them. Always have, still to this day, some of those nations that are left, what's left of them. But Israel had the only God that actually does exist and they exchanged him. Pagan, in other words, God is saying, they're better than you. They don't change their gods. They're faithful to their nothing gods that do nothing. You are unfaithful to the one God that exists who has brought you out of a land of slavery. Be appalled, verse 12. O heavens, at this. And shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. How many of you are appalled at today's... What goes on today? I'm not talking about politics. Get rid of politics. Politics is not our issue. Be appalled at what goes on in our world. I mean, do you remember the day, those of you who, who grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s as I did, when certain words and things just weren't said on TV? I mean, gone with the wind? That's right. Gone with the wind was the first introduction of the word damn. Whoo! That opened the floodgates pretty quick. I'm watching FX last night. Um, what was I watching? A pretty good movie, actually. And I'm hearing the F1, F bomb on TV. It's FX. I'm going to have cable. Wow. Really? You're not going to get rid of it. It's, it's not going away. The slippery slope, we're not getting a revival to take that out. Can you imagine a revival that all that's gone? No. We've fallen down the slippery slope. This is what. This is what is out there. And, and I'll be honest, I struggle to be appalled at it. I hear it enough. You see it enough. We're not appalled at it anymore. And we're made fun of for not for being appalled if we are. And shudder and be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you want to put and because this is the second one. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Think about this. 
God himself is the fountain of living water. God gives, even Jesus says, I will show you, remember in John chapter 4, he tells that woman at the well, you're digging for water, I'll give you water that goes up to eternal life. Sure, give me this water. I don't want to come to this well. That's who God is. God is a, it's a great figure that God is a, is a continual well of water. Israel, however, took their well of living water, abandoned it, and went off into another place. And if you've been to Israel, you've seen these things. They're big, huge holes in the ground called cisterns. It's not a lot of, not a lot of rain in the desert. And that's where, that's where Israel is, in the desert. In order to accumulate any kind of rain, you dig a huge hole in the ground called a cistern and let it rain and, and the water will accumulate. But if it's broken, it just sinks down underneath it and goes into nothingness. And that's what God is saying. I was a continual fountain of water for you. You abandoned that. And you went off to go to this place where it's broken and the water just goes away. What kind of fools are you? Two evils. You've forsaken me and then you went to something that was inferior. Verse 14. Is Israel a slave? Or is he a home-born servant? The answer is obviously no. Why aren't they slaves? Why isn't Israel slaves? What? Better than that. He said so. But what did he do after he said so? He delivered them. They're not slaves because he delivered. Is Israel a slave? Or is he a homeborn servant? Why has he become a prey? The young lions have roared at him. They have roared loudly and have made uh, his land a waste. Um, this is no doubt talking about Assyria. Syria uh, is a nation or was a nation, as was Babylon, that was likened to a lion. In fact, uh, in archaeological digs throughout old Babylon, uh, lions are everywhere. The figures of lions are everywhere. It's the king of beasts. And he's saying essentially the loud, the lions roared and put you kind of subjugated. You, I freed you out of that. You let yourself be subjugated by these people. The cities have been destroyed without inhabitant. Also the men of Memphis and Toponese, that's not in Tennessee, that's in Egypt. Uh, they have shaved the crown of your head. When you shave the crown of someone's head, you are under their domination. So after Assyria in the south, the, the Judeans were subjected by the Egyptians. Until Babylon came and subjected them after that. Verse 17. Have you not done this to yourself? I mean that's, that's something to underline and just maybe ask yourself. Once you fall out of fellowship with God and allow your life to go by the wayside and fall into all the sinful practices that you longed to do when you were 14, 15, 16 years old. And then come out of it with all the sexual diseases you've accumulated and the three or four bad relationships you had along the way and the broken relationships with friends and family, whoever, and all of the bridges you burned in the job industry, you going to shake your fist at God? This is what he's saying. You've done this to yourself. Have you not done this to yourself by your forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? By now, what are you do? or but now, what are you doing on the road to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? In other words, they're going down to Egypt to get help. Or what are you doing on the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your own wickedness will correct you. And your apostasies, to be, apostasies is another word for, means to fall away. To apostatize is to fall away. So all the times you've fallen away from me, all of those things, they will reprove you. You'll realize what happened when you're at the lowest of the low. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. And the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. I want you to underline, if you like to underline your Bible, that word dread. And ask yourself, do I dread God? 
um, my mother um, put, it was my mom, and my dad too was, was also a teacher, my teacher. Uh, he taught me about Christ. But my mom, for whatever reason, scared me to death. Not on purpose. She wasn't trying to scare me, but she scared me. I remember she, she taught me in the car one day. We were coming back from, I was probably six years old. We are coming back from where her mom lives in the little town of Anahuac, Texas. And she was talking to me about what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. But she couldn't, she wouldn't demonstrate it. And she said, when you use a curse word with God's name. And I was trying to put that together. And, and I did. I said, you mean damn God? And she said, uh, just, she shuddered at it. And she, you know, her little six-year-old saying that. And she said, yes, she was very patient with him. She said, yes, but God will strike you down. That was her words. He will strike you down. <gasps> And that was it. The rest of my life from that day to the present, struck down by God, scared me to death. And going through life, this is not a pat on the back. This is just that that's when God got me. Um, Going through life, I was always confused at my friends who also went to church with me who did not have that dread. What make, I, I didn't understand my friends who could sleep with as many women as they wanted to in high school and college and use the language they did. I, didn't, I, I could not for the life of me. How can you do that? I mean, that, that, and I remember thinking, that looks fun. But God will, as my mother said, strike you down. I knew better. I wondered if they didn't. But it scared me. And so I lived my life scared. The dread of God was upon me. Um, I had somebody say, well, how were you? It was a, it was a, I so was a senior in high school. I was doing a little Disciple Now weekend years ago. And the guy said, how did you remain faithful all of your life? He said, in light of all the ones we know that they say they come to know Christ and later on they fall backwards and they, they come back. And, and that's a, those, are, those can be good testimonies. He said, how did, you, how did you not? I said, I was scared to death of God. I always have been. I could not fall into that. And I just see a lack of dread today in the church or from people that say they're Christians. There's no dread of God. And God says, and the dread of me is not in you. Why else would you act like this? Verse 20, for long ago, I broke your yoke. God freed them from slavery, tore off your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. For on every high hill and under every green tree, you have lain down as a harlot. Here's a spiritual um, vision or uh, picture of adultery. Every green tree, these Israelites, God's people, are worshiping trees. A green tree, worship the tree. People do that today. Even it, it could be as simple as worshiping a tree today. I remember Carl Sagan, the late Carl Sagan. Have you ever watched his show back on PBS and called, what, Cosmos? I'll never forget. I mean, <laughs> I have to laugh at it now. I don't like to laugh because the man is burning in hell. But he, he was standing next to a tree making his introduc- introduction to the show and he said, it's like this tree here. And he looked at it like it was his wife. He said, this tree here, we're, we're, we're related. And he hugged it like they were family. And I thought, you are a cosmologist, dude. Act like it. That tree is not related to you other than you share a common maker. But this is what he was doing, bowing to that tree. People did it then. They do it now. Verse 21, yet I planted you a choice vine and complete, a completely faithful seed. A vine would, would produce what? Good fruit, but more specifically what people drink. Wine. Beautiful red wine. 
And there was a, a, a singer, I won't tell you the group, but uh, she's a lead singer for a rock group in the 70s, 80s. And, and the guy was interviewing Dan Rather said, what, what was your downfall? She said, beautiful red wine. <laughs> she said, and she just said it in such a way as that is my Achilles heel in my life. Beautiful red wine. If it's your Achilles heel, I don't want to alert to any problems that you have as an alcoholic, but beautiful red wine is exactly what God made from these vines. That's what was supposed to be produced. God planted a choice vine to produce beautiful red wine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before, before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? He became a, um, a sticker bush, a briar. Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. And I put outside here works, you know. How does someone today try to scrub off their, uh, their sin? They go say a few prayers, the rehearsed prayers, a few Hail Marys, Our Fathers, jump through this hoop, give some money here, give some money there. That, that's what it means to be trying to wash yourself with soap. That doesn't change a soul. The stain of your iniquity is before me. You can wash yourself all you want. You can use all the man-made tactics you want. The one thing that sets us right with God is repentance and turning from our sin. Verse 23, how can you say I am not defiled? This is Israel being defensive because that's what they're saying. I'm not defiled. What are you talking about? I'm not defiled. You ever say that with your kids? Why did you do that? I didn't do that. Who did this? Wasn't me. I have a cousin that my dad used to always make fun of. Her. First one, well, we know it wasn't Stephanie. Wasn't me. I have not gone after the bales. Look at your way in the valley. I know what you have done. You are a swift, note this, this is very intense language. You are a swift young camel entangling her ways, a wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion. This is an animal in heat looking for another animal to mate with. This is what Israel is related to. In the time of her heat, who can turn her away? And who, all who seek her will not become weary. In her month, they will find her. She's going to find what she wants. She's sniffing. She's looking for it. In other words, Israel, you were out there looking for all your sexual lovers. Verse 25, keep your feet from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless. No, I have loved strangers and after them, I will walk. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to act as I want to act. God is love, wants me to live like I want to live. I'm going to do what I want. This is Israel. Is this a, is this a, a, a sermon by Jeremiah to affirm how great they are? Verse 26, as the thief is shamed when he is discovered, so the house of Israel is shamed. They the kings, the princes, the priests, and the prophets. Who say to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. For they turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Isn't that what people do? At the end of the rope. We don't want you, God. We don't need you. We don't like you. We're not even sure you exist. Times get tough. Where is God when it hurts? What happened to God? I'll ask people to come in, typical, um, a messed up marriage, take for instance, um, uh, one that's fallen by the wayside. I'll just ask questions. How did this happen? How did you get to this point? 
well, this, this, and this. Okay, were, were you, are, are one or both of you in fellowship? Do you read your Bible? Are you in fellowship with the Lord at all? No. When's the last time you went to, to, a, to a church? And when's the last time you gave of your money to worship Christ? A sacrifice? Pretty clear. I mean, you abandoned God, and now you're wondering why your marriage is a mess? You abandoned God, and now you wonder why you're praying for a new job, and you don't seem to hear a message from God? Now, sometimes the answer is yes, we've been faithful, we've been faithful. But you know what? At least if you've been faithful, you got a leg to stand on. You can, you can go to bed, Lord, I know I haven't done anything to deserve this per se. I know you're in charge. Others just need to repent, get their life together, and come back to Christ. So they turn from God, and in a time of trouble, they ask him, why didn't he do something? In the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Verse 29, why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain I have struck your sons. They accepted no chastening. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. In other words, you've killed the good ones. O generation, heed the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel? Or a land of thick darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We will no longer come to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Think about a, um, a bride on her wedding day. I mean, a bride has got many things in her mind. But how she looks is pretty important to a bride. You know, they, some, of, some of them hire expensive people to make them beautiful. One of them that does that very well in our church. So if you ever need to be made beautiful, I can direct you in the right path. Um, a bride wants to look beautiful. Bride's going to look at herself in the mirror before she goes out. Do you think she forgets her dress? Does someone say, oh, you look pretty. Oh, oh, this whole thing? The dress is, is ornate, beautiful. She looks gorgeous. She hasn't forgotten what she looks like. She's thinking about what she looks like. But Israel is like, a, like one who doesn't or like one who has forgotten what she looked like. It's a bride. Can a virgin forget her ornaments, the ornaments that show she's a virgin, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. So we know a bride wouldn't forget what she looks like. Or a virgin who is advertising her virginity, that's not going to happen. Yet Israel forgets my people have forgotten me. Days without number. How well you prepare to seek your love. Now, let me read that again. How well you prepare your way to seek love. Therefore, even the wicked women, prostitutes, by the way, you have taught your ways. Prostitutes learn from Israel. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. Now, this is vivid language. In other words, the death of the poor that they refuse to help. The blood of those people is on Israel. If you want to read a, a good, um, um, it's Amos is, is a great one uh, in the Old Testament to read about. Uh, he's chastising the northern kingdom of Israel for not failing to help the poor. Lifeblood is on their, on their skirts. You did not find them breaking in, but in spite of all these things, verse 35, yet you said, I'm innocent. Surely his anger is turned away from me. That's a modern church. That is the modern church right there. You're innocent. You're just a knight. You're just, God just wants to fellowship with you. God just loves you so much. Behold, I will enter into judgment with you because you say, I have not sinned.
I think people are trained to say that they have not sinned. Modern preachers don't talk about sin. People are led to believe they're pretty good people. You know who the best is in our day. Joel Osteen is, is ruling the roost. Never talks about sin. I just, you know, I just don't do that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I just, I just don't do that, Larry. You know, people are run down. I, I just want to encourage people. Thank God he's not a surgeon. If he's a surgeon, he, just, he wouldn't want to upset you by telling you you've got a, a malignant tumor. That might upset you. You, you might, because if you have a malignant tumor, that you'd get upset. And I don't want you to be upset. I want you to be happy. You're going to die. He's far worse than he is, because a, a malignant tumor will only kill you physically. If you're not telling people they're sinners and giving them the solution, don't just tell people they're sinners. You tell people they're sinners so you can give them the solution, which is salvation in Christ. He won't do it. And people go around and say, I haven't sinned. I'm not a bad person. Verse 36, why do you go around so much, changing your way? Also, you will be put to shame by Egypt, as you were put to shame by Assyria. From this place also, you will go out with your hands on your head. Imagine that, like someone being arrested. For the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust. He's rejected Egypt. He's rejected Assyria. He will reject Babylon, but he will use them to reject his people. And you will not prosper with them. Well, first sermon, I wouldn't want to sit back down and, and have to, s to sit through a closing song and, and meet at the back with, with my new people um, after that sermon. That's a tough one. So what happened to Israel? They were once devoted. There's that word chesed. Now she isn't in verse 2. Her unfaithfulness is legitimate grounds for divorce. And God is laying the ground here, groundwork, to divorce Israel. In fact, chapter 3 is part 2 of this where God writes a certificate of divorce to Israel. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 32, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Um, this is the ground for divorce. God has the grounds for divorce because of her sexual immorality. A gentleman came up to me Sunday. This is to put some of your minds at ease um, because many of you are, have been divorced and you're remarried. And um, I'm not here to tell you that's all right. I'm not here to tell you that, that it's, it's not horrible. It is. And he came up and he said, he read me this verse. I don't know where it came to him, but he said, and he wanted me to comment on it and say, essentially say, that means that he didn't say it about himself. He might have been talking about himself, but that means that there's a lot of adulterers. Yes. Where are you going with this? He didn't, he didn't want to voice it. And I said, okay, look, adultery is a really bad sin, but it's not the one that sends you to hell. It's not the unforgivable. And he did this. Oh. Which was kind of nice. Um, my, either he was asking it for somebody else, or maybe he has, I don't know his background well, but... Yes, you have committed adultery. Jesus went ahead and said, look, if you haven't committed adultery physically, you've already done it in your mind. We're all guilty of it. There's a different consequence for those who go ahead and give in to it than those who think it and get past it. But we've all committed it, haven't we? Um, 
but the only legitimate grounds is sexual unfaithfulness. And God is likening Israel's unfaithfulness to sexual perversion. I did this. I entered into a relationship. You broke that covenant. I have grounds for divorce. People do today. And my counsel to people, if you have a spouse who cheated on you, um, uh, who will not, this is a, this is a freebie, uh, as it were, uh, who will not repent, that's a, that's a problem. That's an issue. Um, if you have someone who cheated on you, will not repent, goes off with their other lover and has babies and divorce, move on. That's the grounds for divorce. If you have, however, a spouse who cheated on you and who is repentant and, and is asking for your forgiveness, guess what? You have an obligation to forgive. This is not perpetual sexual unfaithfulness. Technically, could you? You could. But there's a new accusation against you now. Why didn't you forgive? They were repentant. They asked for it. It happened one time. Okay, can it happen one time and 10 years later happen again? Can there be a pattern? These things are complex, my friends. Uh, th there is no pat answer. You can say it's always wrong and everyone's guilty of it, and that might be true. Um, but again, with, at the risk of sounding like I'm watering this horrible sin of adultery down, it is not the unpardonable sin. However, God uses it here to say, these are the grounds I have for abandoning you altogether. He doesn't, still hasn't abandoned Israel, cut her off for a while. She's still cut off, but he's going to remarry. He's going to bring her back, I should say. Israel's adultery was spiritual, affairs with emptiness, empty gods that they committed, worthless idols. Uh, that word for worthless is, if you were here years ago when I preached through Ecclesiastes, you learned the word well. <laughs> Come on, it's more, it's more guttural. It's a great word. Hevel, hevel. Had a little kid. Um, who uh, grew up to church at the time. He was a small kid, and, and I said that word every week, hevel, because that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It's vanity of vanities. It's hevel of hevels. Hevel, that's the Hebrew word. And he went to, work, he went to school, and he was saying this word. His teachers didn't know what he was saying. What is he saying? What's he talking about? Hevel? What is that? And he said, well, that's what my preacher says. Said, what is your preacher teaching you? Hevel. It's vanity, which is a great way to tell your teacher when she tells you to do something you don't want to do. That's hevel. She doesn't know what it means, and apparently that's what he was doing. Hevel. <laughs> Mr. Vapor, you are Hevel. And that's what her, her adultery was spiritually. It was with this made-up realm of God she had invented. God's people no longer seek to recite his greatness. They forget to love him. They forget to thank him. They forget to worship him. I ask you this. Do you sit back each night, each day, each morning, whatever moment you have during the day, and recite the ways in which you love God? How many of you tell God, you men, where you tell God in a prayer, I love you? Well, that's not real manly. But do you? Do you love God? Find yourself, make yourself, tell God in prayer, I love you. You might, some of you too manly have told your wife that in a long time. Well, tell her if you do. I love you, God. Imagine all the ways in which he has given you to love him back. God's recited all the things he's done, some of the things I say he's done for them. He set us free from our bondage to slavery, slavery to sin. We don't, we don't have to commit sin anymore if we don't want. We're no longer in bondage to sin. He set us free. He's not only set us free, he's created an eternity for us with him. And if you enjoy the, the simple pleasures of life, if you're going to get in your car tonight, in a cold night, you're going to be able to turn the heater on in your car that, that runs, that you have gas in, 
You hear me go through this all the time. And you can drive home, and you get home safely, and you get to go home and sit in your couch and, and get in your bed and turn the air conditioner on or your heater, and, and you got breakfast waiting in the morning with hot coffee, and you get to go to bed with a person you love, and your kids are safe in bed or whatever it is. You kiss your little baby goodnight. Folks, th these are not things that God owes us. These are things that God is saying, oh, and by the way, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. This is God telling us that. Why isn't it? Is not every good thing from God? Every good thing? Wow. I could breathe. That didn't hurt. I can stand on my own two feet. I can walk around. I can see. I can embrace you. I can be loved by you. I can love you. All, this, all the things we take for granted. Walking out of this place. Belinda, our friend Belinda, cannot see. I have never once heard her gripe. Doug is there by her side. God keeps Doug alive because he's on borrowed time. And he knows it. And they walk together and all you got, hey, Belinda, she knows your voice. She doesn't mind a hug even though she doesn't know where it's coming from. But there's just, there's just simple pleasures that God here. Take this too. Take this too. Here's some extra money. Take this. Tell God you love him. Think of all the ways in which you do. Stop. And that's in contrast to all the ways you're thinking about today that you have to gripe or all the things you have to gripe about. Traffic was bad. My job. My spouse. My dog. My health. Whatever. Dinner was no good. I had a bean burrito that was from H-E-B or something. <laughs> hey, you had a bean burrito from H-E-B. That's pretty good. They are good. They're only like three bucks, aren't they? May we never forget to love the Lord our God. What happened to Israel? She forgot. Don't forget, my friends. Who was responsible for Israel's adultery? Well, the priests. Those who handled the law didn't handle the law. The rulers, the shepherds, the kings. They broke God's law on purpose, especially when you get to like King Manasseh. Just another. And Manasseh was still on the radar because Jeremiah is just a is dealing with all the problems that Manasseh brought on. They broke God's law on purpose. They transgressed against God. The prophets, instead of saying, thus says the Lord, as Jeremiah was saying, I would imagine when Jeremiah stood up and said, thus says the Lord, people are going, huh? We read it all the time. I want you to note that when you write, underline, thus saith the Lord. Remember, Jeremiah is in a day. Isaiah's gone. Isaiah's been gone for 150 years at this point. Jeremiah is the first prophet on the scene. He's the only one speaking the word of God after 55 years of Manasseh, two years of Ammon, and then we're into Jeremiah's reign five years after that. No one's heard thus, saith the Lord. There are no Bible churches. There are no Orthodox Baptist churches or Presbyterian churches around. There's no arguing between the Missouri Synod and the Wisconsin Synod and the Lutheran Church. There's no argument between the Texas Baptists and the Southern Baptists. There's no arguments between amillennialism and premillennialism. They don't know any of these things. Thus says the Lord, don't ever take for granted the privilege that you have, that we have to hear from the Lord in his word. There will be a day, Amos says, where there will be a what? A famine, not of food, but for the word of the Lord. Uh, God's similes and God's grounds for divorce is exhibit one, like a nation that changes its gods. Number two, like leaving a spring of living water. Uh, as I told you earlier, here's just a picture of a, a, a cistern. 
Um, politics, I believe, is a broken cistern in the church today. When we as Christians begin to place our trust in politics and politicians, thinking they will save our nation, we bring judgment on ourselves, as Israel did, because they went elsewhere looking for someone else to save them. The church today needs to separate itself from the idea that modern politicians are somehow the answer to our problems. They are not. Whether the left-wing agenda or the right, the very idea of possessing political power from the right candidate destroys the spiritual influence of the church on the society in which, is, in which he lives. Yes, I said it. I mean, I want a good president too, but folks, that is not our salvation. Don't let yourself this year in this election year get caught up in who becomes president of the United States. Neither one is godly. Don't. I mean, it's, it's a broken cistern. Don't buy it. Israel's like a beast breaking free from its yoke. God's people were made by God to serve their God, to serve their maker, not anyone or anything else. Christ said his yoke is easy. Want to break it off to serve something difficult? Like a prostitute in a street corner waiting for her John. That's what it's the, the church is today. Um, I'll move on. Like a choice vine that became a thorn briar, what was supposed to produce rich fruit produced a rotten one. They were like a permanent stain. I mean, Jeremiah is good with his word pictures. Looking for love in all the wrong places. How many of you just thought of Johnny Lee? Yeah, there you go. An urban cowboy. You just thought of that. So you got it. Now it's connected forever. Israel ran everywhere they could looking for a place to sin. From sacrificing their children in the fire to abusing the poor, all things were permissible back then. No, today's same type thing. Abortion, sexual perversions, it's all permissible. And if it's not quite there, that's where the left is trying to bring it. That's why we're in politics and we're trying to keep that from happening. That's a good thing, but that's not our Savior. Israel looking to Egypt uh, or another nation to help them is like us looking to Donald Trump to save us. It's the same thing. Don't fall for it. Uncontrollable sexual urges are not even shameful anymore. Even in the church. I was telling Brooke last night, uh, back, was it, I think it was 1984 when Gary Hart, remember when Gary, remember Gary Hart? Yeah. He was going to run against Ronald Reagan. And it, what, Gary Hart was completely scandalized when he was found to be, I even remember her name, Donna Rice. That was scandalous in 1984. I think it was 84. You don't do that. He was out of the race. He was done. After Bill Clinton, if you don't do it, you're not electable. <laughs> what was shameful? A bad word on TV? Pfft. Now it can't get a PG. Can, you want your, your PG rating to jump up to PG-13 or R, you just throw in a bunch of foul words and, and a ridiculous sex scene. I have not seen, uh, what's the one, uh, Oppenheimer? Uh, and I won't see it because I've heard it was a pretty good show other than the sex scene they had to throw in to get the rating. Why? It's just expected. Uh, like a bride who forgets her jewelry and dress, pure apathy towards God. People forget. You call yourself a Christian, you forget. You got a little, little uh, fish on the back of your car, or you walk around with IR, a Christian, and you totally forget. You have a big cross that goes down, and then you share all your cleavage for the whole world to see. Uh, that, that doesn't go together, ladies. Showing your legs off and everything you got. And yet, they don't even make clothes today that, that are that are in at all for young girls to wear. They feel like prudes for not. Um, they go around dressed like that, looking like that, and forget that they, their first 
task on this planet is to represent Christ. What was his response to God? They were defensive. I'm not defiled. I've not run after the bales. Her lie is exposed during the cross-examination when she is forced to admit that she loves foreign gods. So fickle. I'm innocent. God is not angry with me. Yet God replies, I will pass judgment on you because you say I have not sinned. Yet, when Israel is in trouble, they say, come and save us. So, I close tonight with this final slide. What does a church look like that has abandoned Christ? Just my bullet points. You're welcome to throw yours in. Number one, sermons about politics, social injustice, etc. Christianettes or sermonettes for Christianettes. Short little little pithy little things that uh, love your neighbor and we just need to love and let's make sure we worship together. Blacks, whites, everything in between. Let's do all that. That's fine. But really, let's, I don't think anyone in church should ever go out to recruit people of other color. Just preach God's word. Preach the word and God will send people of all colors because they all belong to him. We all belong to him. So this is what a church looks like that's abandoned Christ. Sermons are about politics. Number two, they sing a lot of songs, Christian and secular. I think Mike uh, Riggs was telling me one of our deacons said at his former church, I always want to say Britney Spears, but it was, uh, which one of you grew up at that particular Methodist church here in town? Um, anyway, basic songs on the radio. So Britney Spears, he said, yeah, we also sang you too. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Imagine, I still haven't found what I'm looking for in church. <sighs> I mean, you're saying, if, if that song comes on at a church, Folks, if you don't get up and go, then you are the fool. People sitting around. <laughs> I don't like it without singing. I mean, I can't. I like to sing songs that I like, and I can't bring myself to sing that song. And it's a decent tune and all, but. Better than at your wedding. Than at your wedding. Yeah, you don't sing it at your wedding either, do you? <laughs> Dedicate that one to your new spouse. Christina, will you do something, please, about him? Build large building for entertainment and personalities. Invite personalities into your church. That, folks, I put these because this is what's going on in the church today. Be sympathetic to all social causes, striving for growth and unity within the community. Take no stands for the truth. We will not stand for the truth. We will not take a stand on this or that. Just be sympathetic. Um, I, I was amazed at how, how long so many churches closed during COVID. Why? Why? I mean, we, the only reason we close is just to play nice. We don't want to be the only, hey, we're not going to do what everyone's doing. You know, the government at that time was saying, hey, lower the curve. Bring the curve down. Okay, we'll play, we'll play, we'll play nicely. And we did. Five weeks later, I had people going, we are coming in whether you open the doors or not. Okay, good, come in. I remember that day? That was like Christmas Day church, wasn't it? For those of you who are here. Everybody's grinning ear to ear. That was a fantastic day. And then, I, you know, I was just talking to a family the other day. I said, tell me where y'all came from again. She said, well, we, you know, our church was closed for six months uh, during COVID. So we came. I said, six months in, in Houston? A local Baptist church, six months? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just sympathetic to social cause. My, my guess is that's a preacher that thought, I can take six months off. I don't have to say, thus says the Lord. Striving for growth. We just want to grow and get big. Get together with other churches and faiths. We had the, as I've told you in the past, we had a, there's a Muslim community here, and uh, uh, they, they came to the church two, maybe three times, bringing us gifts. They wanted us to come together for uh, an outreach for all, all faiths. What do they call it? Interfaith thing here in town. And I said, I mean, I finally said, this is nice. Thank you. But no, we have no fellowship. 
I will not allow the people of Harvest Bible Church, uh, in the name of Harvest Bible Church, you can do whatever you want to do. I don't control that. But not in the name of Harvest Bible Church. Get together and say, yeah, the, 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 the particular mosque over here is meeting in Harvest Bible Church. They must be one. We are not. One is a children of God worshiping Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, and the others are the children of the devil worshiping their God, the devil. We cannot do that. Now, that, what I just said is terribly politically um, liable. And, I, and that's hate speech coming up. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't say that in Canada, could I, Julia? I couldn't say that in Oregon or California. Uh, and yet I'm still able to say it here for the time being. That's hate speech. And yet that's what the modern church is. They've done everything that Jesus or that God tells Jeremiah. And finally, I said, it's a, it make America great again. I mean, I'm a MAGA. I, I, give me a MAGA hat. I'll wear it. I, I want America to be great again. But that's there. That, that, this is the church. We are here to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus Christ verse by verse out of his word. That's why we're here. This is not a political institution. We don't take stands. Uh, if you get a voter's guide, we might help you with a voter's guide just because we can. But I don't care who you vote for. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, I'm pretty sure who you're going to vote for. You know, it's always the least uh, of two evils. <laughs> but still, you know, Tweedledee or Tweedledum, they're both evil. Uh, what do you do? So what does a church look like that's abandoned Christ? You know, that, uh, it's out there. No discernment, doing what they feel makes them feel good. Does it make you feel good? Do you feel good? Did you have fun tonight? Tonight, I'm going to stand at the door, and I'm just going to ask you as you leave, did you have fun tonight? No, I'm not. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us as Christians, professed believers, lovers of, of you, that we would stand out, uh, not as people who hate we hate that which is evil, but may we be known for our love for you. That people may hate us, but they know we love you. May our love for you show itself through kindness, goodness, and the preaching of the gospel. I pray that we could never be accused personally of these sins. And I pray, Lord, that we would go home tonight, each one of us, and recall, in spite of whatever's bad that's going on in our life, and all of us have something, but that we would go home and recall all that is good because it's all from you every little gift may we say thank you for it and if we are in a, in a bind and don't know what to do in a situation may we just leave that with you you are sovereign and in control I pray that our love has increased for you tonight and this would pray in Jesus name Amen you've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas Thank you.